Welcome you into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdell, C70 at the bat at C70 on Twitter. With me as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Red Bird and A Medlock One on Twitter. But joining us as our, you know, special, you know, mid-season guest is Kyle Reese from Birds on the Black. You can follow him at Kyler Four Kyle R416, but he doesn't want you to. So go there, block him, unblock him, block him. You know, just keep just gonna keep doing that kind of thing. Um, because if you don't follow him, you're gonna miss out on a lot of great minor league coverage. So uh and everybody, if you're listening to the show, you know Kyle, and you know, we go from there. Um we are again coming to you at the all-star break. This is Thursday night before the Cardinals resume their schedule on Friday. Um, which means not a whole lot has happened since our last show, just a couple of games uh, with the Cubs. Um, but just little bits and pieces here and there. So let's start Let's start with the All-Star game. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but um, Kyle, I don't know. if you, Did you even watch uh, any of the festivities? I watched about half of the Home Run Derby and none of the All-Star game. Alan, what about you? I watched the probably the final two rounds of the home run derby and all of the All Star game. Um, did I? And I didn't watch any of the derby, and I watched pretty much all the All Star game. I will say, if they had brought Alex Reyes in earlier, I might not have made it all the way through the game. Uh-huh. Um, I was kind of waiting around on on him. But um, did anything, Kyle? Anything? Between watching the Derby and just hearing about stuff, did anything stand out to you this week, or were you pretty much just focused on the minors while that's just going on? Yeah, on Tuesday, you know, you end up having three minor league games and trying to get caught up on the draft kids and trying to research and get as informed on them as possible. And uh, that was part of the reason why I only tuned into the Home Run Derby. But, uh, you know, I, I I usually don't get into the Home Run Derby that much, and mm-hmm. the little bit I watched those last couple of rounds, I thought I thought it was fun, whatever that means. Yeah, they've made upgrades that have actually made it enjoyable, and it's all about time. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes they can get monotonous and go till midnight. So, no, I agree with you. That's uh, I was kind of mad. I was on the road, and so I I didn't I I had picked the uh, Soto upset, so I was glad to see that one. But I was listening to it on the radio the whole time, and then when I got home, I was like, ah, these guys are just running out of gas. And then Alonso's a monster, so that's mm-hmm. uh, you know he's made for that. So that that's, but other than that, I mean, I, I love the competition style bracket and the time change. Uh, so I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. They definitely had to, to do something where they went to that kind of, you know, uh, it was a, a long process those early years. Um, Kyle, you, you did mention that the draft obviously happened this week and we'll, we'll get to that obviously later on, but this is the first year they've had it 
during the all-star break, you know, having it, you know, right there at the beginning of all of everything. Did you like that? Did it matter? Is it, what do you think about the move? No, I don't, I don't like it. Uh, And I'm usually not this averse to change, but what I don't like about it is I don't like having it the same day as the, Mm-hmm. The first round, the same day as the Futures game. I, I think that yeah. that's bad for both reporting and hype for the draft. You know, and I also think it might take away some of the the luster of the Futures game. But you know, you see all of these guys who follow the you know who who report on the draft, and all of these guys who report on minor league baseball who are overloaded on a Sunday trying to get. I mean, the Sunday of draft day or the day of draft day, the amount of information that comes in and out of those, those people who report on it is it might be even more than like the trade deadline at major league baseball. I would imagine that those two days are probably pretty close these days with the amount of information and speculation and posturing they're hearing. So then on top of that, they have to cover the, the futures game and start hyping up the all, the all-star game itself. Um, I personally didn't like it. I think it's a little too jam-packed. I, what I'd like to see is tonight. Uh, I'd like yeah. to see the draft be tonight. Yeah. Uh, the, the first 100 picks. You know, the closest that you can get to 100 picks and still be at the end of the third round or whatever it is. Like, make that tonight. Make Get people there tonight talking about the draft. And then Thursday during the day, you can do, uh, if they continue to do a 20-round draft, you can finish off the 10 rounds. And then on Friday you know, or on Saturday, you could finish off the, the rest of it. But like, that's, that's how I do it. And I'm not opposed to it. It's not like I hated it. It's not like it's nothing that's like changed my life. I just, I think that it could be, again, could be planned out. They, they came this close to kind of doing it right. And they hit on a lot of really positive things, but I just don't think they sealed the deal. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I could have said it better myself. My, I'm all about them trying to promote it all in a week type situation to where they, they added it on. But I I've thought forever that the futures game gets screwed on this. Yep. I I can't stand that they have it on the on the last day of the regular or of the first half of the season in the middle of the day. I don't understand why they couldn't have it at night under the lights or like or the Wednesday or even the Monday before the home run derby. Something to promote it a little better than it is. And then when you do it just shows what they think of the amateurs when they have the futures game. Then you're running right across the street to have the to have the first round of the draft. It seems a little convoluted to me. I completely agree with that. And I and I wondered why would they not have that on Wednesday? And is it a situation where guys just are so ready to skip town that they're not going to deal with it? You know, I don't know. It, it that would seem to be make some sense. But I feel like Kyle's right. It would make sense to spread it out a little bit more, and it would get more viewership and more interest. Yeah, and real real fast, uh, you make a good point that I I'd, I'd actually like to change my answer, and I think tonight would be the perfect game for the futures game, and then just keep the draft on Sunday if that's how they want to do it, and do Sunday, Monday, Tuesday the draft, and then futures game tonight. I, I love that, Alan. Well, and uh, you would, I would love to give them the spotlight, and I think that would do wonders for baseball. Yeah, me too. But, you know, that's they just bury it in that afternoon game. Yeah, well, it, that makes zero sense. Yeah, and I get that, and it would be it probably work better on Wednesday just because they do have you know there was supposed to be a major league game tonight with the Red Sox and Yankees before it was canceled with the COVID, and you know maybe you'd rather have them on Wednesday so they would be all together. But if nothing else, I mean, again, put your put something on the calendar every day. You know, don't don't put all this stuff on one or two days and then have this you know dead period. Where we're just kind of just kind of hanging out, doing nothing, trying to wait for the second half. And I get the players need that break, but the front office folks and, and others that are are dealing with the draft, 
I, you know, I don't think they took these two days off, obviously. So, um, yeah, I, it is a little bit weird that they they crush everything up together, and maybe they'll shift it around. Although they've, you know, they've always had that futures game. How long have they been doing that? Probably ten years, twelve years now. No, it's uh, longer than that. Uh, oh, really? I'm old. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm. You know, they had when the Cardinals had the All Star game. They had the futures game here. Yeah, and that was twelve years ago, wasn't it? Because that was nine. So yeah, it's all older than that. So, um, still, but they've always had it on that Sunday, and I, I just, yeah, it doesn't seem to make a lot of a sense. Um, I think we'd probably rather see that than the what's the Rock and Jock softball game. Um, yeah, which they which yeah. they pump up way more. Yeah. So, um, but you know, baseball has a tendency to do stupid things when it comes to marketing and. Yeah, this is kind of just a little bit of. They can't get out of their own way. No, that's yeah, that, it's frustrating. So much. Um, so yeah, when we got to see, you know, we got to see uh, Arnado and Reyes. They went to the game. One guy that didn't go to the game, even though he could have gone to the game, was Yadi or Molina. Which is, I mean, one a little surprising to me that Yadi turned it down. I guess he needed to go get that championship ring uh, from his <laughs> basketball team. Um, you know, while he's in Puerto Rico, and we'll have to give the the hat tip to Tito, who is Traveritops on um, Twitter, uh, very early on this, which is really ironic because he can't be early on any other thing. Tito, <laughs> watch your shows, man. Watch your shows. Um, but anyway, uh, Tito comes with the Puerto Rico thing saying that uh, from the Puerto Rico papers, talking about Yachty looking to sign an extension even by the end of this year, before the season's over for 2022 and possibly even 2023. Um, Alan, your initial just general thoughts on that. I was not surprised at all. And honestly, whenever he turned down the All-Star game, I kind of thought that was a sign that he's probably going to play next year regardless. And I thought yeah. that from the beginning anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, you know, until they until they put in the uh, – the, uh, I don't know how to say it, but they're going to – they're going to have to add a roster spot for Pujols next year, I would assume. <laughs> I would think that's probably going to be a situation for for Molina as well, unless he signs a two-year deal. And a lot of these All-Stars are going to have one last ride. Um, I, the minute that he turned it down, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, well, this isn't going to be his last one if that's the case. Does that, does that make sense, Kyle? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. I, so I didn't know – that that's why everyone was talking about Yadi or Molina today. I just do what I do, which is find something funny uh, and try to be funnier than I actually am and just <laughs> say some random stuff. No, so, you know, my, my work day ends up getting really busy, and a lot of times I don't get to see what all the hype is. And since uh, I get so focused on the draft and minor league baseball, I didn't I didn't know any of that nonsense about the, uh, the, the two-year potential extension, but it doesn't surprise me at all. I, I love what Alan's saying. It makes a lot of sense. And I can't wait to see how it all shakes out in 2023 when baseball comes back. <laughs> That's the other thing you need to maybe why Yachty wants to sign his extension now um, yeah. rather than this offseason because it may not be uh, nearly as palatable. Um, so, uh, you know, that does make a lot of sense. And yeah, I think a lot of us expected Yachty to at least make a, an attempt to come back um, for next year. What does that, and, and Kyle, you know, I know you probably have thoughts on this. What does that mean for Andrew Kisner? Does that does that impact him? Does that make him more likely to be traded if the Cardinals are going to make a move now? What what does the future hold for Kisner? Is it the same type of future that it held for Carson Kelly? Yeah, I hope he gets a chance somewhere else. That's 
I, I don't think there's a future here for him. There might be a roster spot for him. There might be a 26-man role for him, uh, if you want to call it a role. But I don't. If that ends up happening, he doesn't. He doesn't have a spot here. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine right now he has much in the way of trade value. What other organization is going to say? All right, we'll take this young man who <laughs> gets ten at bats every sixty-five days. You know, who also doesn't get to hone his craft, and when he comes in late in the game, he looks sloppy uh, because a he doesn't. Ex- I mean, my assumption is he doesn't expect to ever come into a game that Yadi started. So that sure. one time it happens every twenty games. You know, he looks sloppy. And then when he gets a start, he looks better, but he doesn't hit because he only gets one at bat every 65 games. And it's like, sure, I I hope he gets a chance somewhere else. He deserves a chance somewhere else. I think he'll be an average-ish catcher on a different team somewhere if given the opportunity. But uh, the Cardinals have a great deal of catching depth in the organization. And if... If all you're going to do is what you've been doing for 15 years, or however long it's been, what, 18 years, 75 years, uh, mm-hmm. however long, then just give the job to Heineman. Give the job to Ali Sanchez and trade off all of your catchers. Because this is going to happen past two years from now, too, if they give him a two-year extension. Mm-hmm. Unless he's hurt, because he's always going to be this level of productive. He's always going to hit 250, 230 with a 300 on base percentage because he's going to play through injury and that's and he makes enough contact with good enough bat speed and that, that he's going to convince himself that he's capable of playing and playing and playing and the organization will not let him go. Yeah, and he does have that tendency to, you know, save his hits for um, runners in scoring position, which is yeah. always helpful as well. Kisner got 18 at-bats in June. He's already got seven in July. I was a little bit surprised, like you and I think Alan and I talked about it last week, um, that he got to play twice last week. He got to play the Colorado game, and he got to play once in San Francisco. Um, that that seemed a little bit strange to me, like maybe the Cardinals were trying to get him out there as a trade chip. Yeah, that could be the case. I know right now uh, Lane Thomas is hitting leadoff pretty regularly mm. for Memphis and playing center. Uh, you know, the Cardinals have – really strong feelings about Scott Hurston center. And at first when they sent Lane Thomas down, he was playing a corner, but they flipped that recently and Hurst was leading off and they flipped that recently. So maybe that is the case, but my guess is more than likely Yachty just knew he needed more time uh, those days and somehow removed himself. Yeah. I'm sure there's no doubt that he, uh, he fed the final sign off and and that's what we've talked about for for you know since my grandfather watched Yachty or Melina play <laughs> um, is is that Yachty has a lot of a lot of say in this the whole matter so um so that you know kind of does lead us into trade deadline talk Cardinals you know eight game eight games out um two games under 500 um but we've already seen tonight the Cubs have traded off Jock Peterson looked like they're starting their their um, tear down, um, Alan. As we've gone through this week, how, how do you feel about what the Cardinals are going to do over the next, well, basically two weeks? Well, I feel like they're going to. Uh, I feel like they're going to add. I feel like they have to add, um, just mainly because they don't have enough arms to cover the innings that they have now. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- they're probably going to be patient, like they had, like they always are, and it'll probably be. I hope I'm wrong, but it will probably be uh, uh, 
about as vanilla trade as they can get or a signing, or they could just be in the Hamels deal. You know, I, I'm not sure. There's a part of me that for once would like to see them. And, and I, like I said, I, I don't know the full way around this trade, but I would once like to see Mo pull a trade off like this Peterson deal where you trade a prospect for half a year guy, just to see if you could catch fire and find some offense. I know that, that Peterson has an option. Then that's probably going to be a uh, you know maybe a uh, soft landing spot considering that Azuna is probably not going to be able to come back. But I, I would just like to see a gamble like that once, you know, the, to the to gamble the risk losing a trade, you know, one time. And I don't know if we've seen that in you know ten years. Uh, Kyle, where where do you think they go? Where do you uh, think I, they go? As as Alan said that I I first started thinking speaking of vanilla trades. I started thinking about like James Ramsey for mass, uh, you know, Just uh, a <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's the trade that he'll make. And as <laughs> yeah. far as Cole Hamels, the rhetoric coming out of the front office is how expensive it is to trade for pitching. Does anyone think that they're going to outbid another team that's, yeah, that's looking for pitching? No. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair, especially on a guy that hasn't pitched you know, but what three pitched three innings last year, and that's it. So um, then again, you know, they only have to pay him for what two months. Maybe that maybe that makes an impact as well. I don't know. I guess it depends on the interest level. But you're right; it, it would be seem strange for them to be the top bidder. It, it, exactly. It just comes down to the interest level, and then that's the fun thing too. Where if all of these teams that are looking for pitching in this this market that is pitching deficient, if all of them say, you know what? This guy isn't impressive, and the Cardinals do sign him. That's not exactly the best thing either. <laughs> I can't imagine them winning a bidding war at the beginning of the season or the middle season for for a player. And I I don't know. I just like I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful it's Cole Hamels. Uh, I think that helps the Cardinals even if Cole Hamels is bad. That's the situation yeah. the Cardinals pitching is in. But uh, man, I just I don't know how it's going to all work out. Yeah, I mean, they've got to get somebody like Allen. I mean, right now, technically, they don't have – I mean, right now, technically, they don't even have a fourth starter. Um, I mean, they will once they bring you know, an Oviedo back up. But even then, I know, Kyle, you have opinions on this. It's a guy that needs to be in Memphis but won't get a chance to. But they don't have a fifth starter unless you think Jake Woodford's a fifth starter, and I don't think anybody here thinks that. Um, so they got to do something, and, you know, this doesn't at least doesn't cost them – prospects but you're right it's they're kind of a catch-22 there tough spot it's a tough spot i uh i do wonder if okay so in my mind the cardinals are a really bad team like they've done some good stuff and they play really good against the giants but they're just not a good team right now and that doesn't mean i mean you look at mike shield's track record right he takes over from mike Matheny in 2018 and he goes on a run in august before you know while he's really aggressive and then in september he goes back to not being aggressive and sticking with players and they have an okay season with Colton Wong hurt uh, and Daniel Ponce de Leon completely on the bench uh, mm-hmm. with expanded rosters. And then in 2019, they have the same record through like 92 day- games as they had with Matheny. Uh, and then they go on a run in August. And then in September, he does the same thing where he stops being aggressive uh, as he got really aggressive in August and they had great results. Uh, stops being aggressive. Daniel Ponce de Leon sits on the bench. Not to say Daniel Ponce de Leon's great, but he's a pitcher that they could have used when they needed extra innings, and he was never used. And then for the second straight year, outfielders aren't given a chance. Uh, young outfielders aren't given a chance 
when established outfielders are really struggling. Like you look at 2019 and Marcelo Zuna hit like 200. The best, the best hitting outfielder in September of 2019 was Dexter Fowler and Fowler hit like 215. He had like a 320 on base percentage and he hit 215. And none of those kids could get a sniff because instead of being aggressive, like he was in the past for those months, those months of August from the, from the end of the all-star break until the end of August, and then September goes and he thinks, all right, these are the guys who got us here. I've got to stick with them or something. So all of this this diatribe is to just say that I think there's reason to suspect that this bad team uh, might go on a bit of a run here if, if you're looking at the past to guide your, your assumptions. I just don't think it's sustainable. I don't think that the talent is there to push them. And in my mind, what becomes more important if you're not a good team? Is it is it to try to hope everyone else is bad and limp into the playoffs? Or is it to kind of maybe make Jake Woodford your fourth starter, let him get beat the heck around, and get Johan Oviedo ready for 2023? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that makes sense to me, but it doesn't seem to be that's what the front office is going to do. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can just get you to run the front office too. While you're at it. it, it is difficult. I mean, and, and again, the Cardinals are not a team that are going to write off their season. I don't think. Um, no. Even if they should, um, they're they just they're too invested in this. And, and you know, I, I guess I don't necessarily want to say this as a negative, but they're very invested in this being competitive all the time. You know, winning baseball, even if it's not you know, um, hundred wins or anything like that. I, you know, and so, and, you know, Nolan Arenado thinks they're going to buy. Yadi Merlina thinks they're going to buy. He not necessarily guys you necessarily want to disappoint. So Alan, you've said it, you think they're going to, they're going to buy, but do you think that's what they should do? A lot of, a lot of my opinion of this depends on what, what they're willing to move or what they would be willing to sell on both sides of this fence, how they would do it. Um, I still am not, I'm still would be baffled that they got, if they made this Arenado trade and did nothing and set on their hands. But the thing is that kind of feels like what may happen. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I like, I feel like they add just because they have to at this point and not necessarily to contend just to get through the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but on oh, another thing is if, if you want to trade, trade big. I mean, shake things up a little bit. And, you know, we've talked about that in the last two or three shows. Go, you know, go out and do something substantial and, and, and pick up a roster and change a roster over that uh, that's, you know, like we've said, that it's taken a second and a half run and maybe some teams falling apart for them to get into the playoffs. But really shake it up if you're going to do it. And I just, I just don't see them willing to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. And, you know, honestly, I, you know, I look at this team and I don't see even buying or selling what they can trade, um, which kind of brings us to our minor league section of our discussion, if you will. And before we talk about trade pieces, though, Kyle, give an overview, if you don't mind, of the of the system and some couple of names that maybe we should be looking at. Yeah, I think um, 
like as far as a trade goes, and this is where it gets really interesting in, in my mind. So it's the same kind of story with the Cardinals. They're top heavy with outfielders, right? Uh, right now they have two kids at Double A. We're just going to start there because we're going to skip over the top heavy Triple A. Uh, we know all those names, but let's start with the Double the, the A kids. You know, you've got Nick Plummer, who the Cardinals have to make a decision on if he keeps hitting this way. Do you add him to the forty men? Uh, I believe technically he's in his seventh minor league year, depending on how twenty twenty was counted and. I could have swore that 2020 counts as a full year of control for these kids, but now I don't remember, uh, and I, I've psyched myself out of it. But if it did, then he's a minor league free agent after this year. And if you're Nick Plummer and you're not given a chance to rise up to AAA uh, or a chance to be on the 40-man, there's no way you're re-signing with the Cardinals, not after you've had a good year. Uh, and even then, like you expose him to the Rule 5 draft, that's the kind of kid that a team is going to take a chance on. You know? 25 years old at that point. Some teams will view it as not needing much development time who can play a good fourth or fifth outfield role with some really great tools that, you know, whatever happens, happens. If he hits 140 off your bench, well, that's not the worst thing to happen. Like, that's the kind of kid who I think would get exposed. And then you have Alec Burleson at AA, who probably would do well to stay at AA all year. The issue now is, what do you have at AAA? And you have Justin Williams. You have Lane Thomas. You have Lars Newbar, who is on the taxi, taxi squad. You have Scott Hurst. Uh, you know, when he's healthy, even though he's on the IL, uh, Austin Dean. Um, you have all of these guys. And then and then maybe the one who deserves to play the most, who is playing first and third for Memphis, is Juan Yepes. Where it makes most sense to have Juan Yepes in left field. Uh, or right field as often as freaking possible right now because he, his bat has taken the next step to whatever that is for him. Uh, and instead, he's playing a corner infield, which he'll never play at the major league level. So what they have are outfielders. Uh, and they have outfielders that, other than Lars Newtbar and maybe Scott Hurst, but I don't think Scott Hurst has any type of carry value in a trade. Uh, but other than Lars Newtbar, they have outfielders at AAA with substantially diminished value from what they had two years ago. So that makes a trade there hard. Uh, moving moving that excess value that they have, it makes that, that difficult there. Um, I, I do think that if you wanted to make a trade to get better, whether it be offensively or defensively, uh, I think if I'm another team, the kid that I'm I'm probably zoning in on is is Juan Yepes, and I know that that's a weird thing to say. Um, I was told earlier Juan Yepes was traded for somebody named Matt Adams. I I had never heard this before. Yeah, and uh, how, how do trades work, Kyle? Jesus, God. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so anyways, Juan Yepes he he is such a smart and a charming and and a great kid. You know he he studied to get his degree. He was not. He struggled at baseball while he was learning English and getting his degree. And once that happened, once he got his degree, once he got comfortable in English, he put on body weight and got mass, muscle mass, and got stronger and went from being a absolutely no, 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 no defensive third baseman to being like, okay, that guy can play third a little bit. And then being a first baseman, who could kind of play first a little bit and can roam around the outfield. You know, ideally, you'd probably want him to DH in the long run, but he can do some things in the field that isn't bad. And he took the next step in his his hitting development. And he's a measurable kid. Hit, you know, he, he's a big kid, a big, strong kid who hits the ball hard. Uh, and he hits breaking pitches and he hits fastballs. He struggles with changeups and he doesn't see changeups as much as I would throw him. 
Uh, but but he is just a really big, really good kid. And it seems like with the position specifically that he keeps playing and playing and playing uh, and the outfield logjam that they have, that that's the kind of player that the Cardinals might end up trading who might have some good value. But I, I don't I don't want that. I don't want to see that. I want Juan Yepes to be playing it for the Cardinals. That's what I'd like to see, uh, at least see what that looks like. But, you know, in my mind, the value where the trade comes from, it's going to have to come from their outfield depth. And and maybe depending on who they're acquiring, it's going to have to be someone like Juan Yepes. Uh, you know, I, what will they do with pitching? That's, you know, the pitching in the organization has been so terrible. They just drafted a bunch of pitchers this year, but I don't think that makes any of the pitchers that they have uh, expendable. I, I think the last thing that they could possibly do is trade any of their pitchers that might otherwise have value. I don't think they're in that position. You know, they have some interesting middle infielders. You know, maybe Kramer Robertson, who has had a really, really good offensive season for Memphis, you know, advanced age. Uh, maybe he's someone who could add a little value to a trade and impact uh, uh, in a utility role, a major league team. But I just, I don't think that the Cardinals have a lot at the minor league level that A, they'd be willing to trade and B, that would like really entice other teams. So I, I think they're in kind of a pickle. And the, what Alan's been saying on, on your show for the last couple of weeks about, well, I mean, for, for I mean, the last couple of months really is uh, you got to trade from the major league roster. It, it has to happen because the clubhouse needs a shakeup and, mm-hmm. And you're you're not at this point because things are rosy in the clubhouse. Now that doesn't mean things are bad in the clubhouse. It just means things are stale in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, you need a jolt. And if you're not going to fire a coach, you need to adjust the the main cast in the dugout. Like sending Lars Newbart off isn't going to make a deal. You know, mm-hmm. sending in Mundo Sosa or Jose Rondon is not going to make a deal. Or Seth Elledge or Jake Woodford or any of the cast of relief characters that they've had. It's not going to make a ripple, but you trade Paul DeYoung, uh, even if his, he has, he's at diminished value, it's going to make a ripple. You trade Tommy Edmond, that's going to make a ripple. Now, none of that stuff's going to happen, uh, but that's the move they need to make. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel. And it's one of those to where we had, I don't, I can't remember if we talked about it on the show last week or if it was before. And if you, what if Minnesota came to you and said, hey, we'll give you Barrios, but you take Simmons. What do you send back? I mean, I because I would probably go, do you want DeYoung or Edmund or both? You know, type situation is probably what I say. And, you know, I'm not sure that, that the Cardinals would ever do that. But and it it's, would be so intriguing for something like that to happen. Now, what you did say, though, is with any of those names, with it being a Yepes or, or – uh, um, or plumber, is it a situation where they feel like they make a move? Could they make a move and allow those guys to play and figure that situation out at the big league level, or is that just too much of an advancement for both of them? Well, I think I think Yepes, you know, he so Yepes is hitting two sixty seven. You'll look at his stats at Memphis and you'll say, well, he's hitting home runs and he's slugging the ball, but he was really bad at Memphis for his cu- first couple yeah. weeks. And he's really zoned in. Now, he's he's hitting a lot of stuff in the air. I think he's trying to get a little too home run happy right now as he just mm. flies out to right field as a right-handed hitter. <laughs> uh, and But I do think that if given a chance at some regular at-bats at the, at the major league level, you know, just like we've said about – and I'll stick with it, uh, although now I think it's time for, 
for Lane Thomas's sake that he goes to a different organization yeah. because he looks, I mean, even at Memphis and he's hitting well at Memphis, but he does not look anything like he looked at, at any time before, you know, the injury and all that, uh, that he's had to deal with. So, uh, but yeah, like I, I, all of these guys, we've said Lane Thomas, he just needs regular bats, you know, Jose Adeliz Garcia, Jag, he just needs regular bats. Randy Rosarena just needs regular at bats. You know, Justin Williams just needs regular at bats, and he got it a little bit. Tyler O'Neill just needs regular at bats. You know, all of these guys, we say the same stuff, and and they either get it or they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they don't, they usually have success somewhere else. So it doesn't do anybody any good to bring up Lars Newbar and have him on the taxi squad. You yeah. know, don't release Max Caesar for that. Just hold on to Max Caesar in your organization and have him be that guy because – you can get an outfielder up to the major league roster uh, pretty quick these days, you, you, you know, if you need somebody. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. That, that's all a big rant to just say, I think Nick Plummer could handle AAA. I don't know about, about major league. I, I think I just want to see him at AAA a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think the Delta between the talent, the talent pool between double A AA and AAA might be bigger than it's ever been. And I, I also think that the talent pool between a plus the high a level and double A is probably smaller than it's ever been. Uh, and at the same time, between low A and high A is bigger than it's ever been. So you have this like sandwich two levels at high A and uh, and double A that are kind of like the same with huge disparity in talent between double A and triple A and low A and high A. And I think that there there's reason to really put these guys in in like a triple A test. You know, I think that all of these guys are struggling when they get to AAA because of how how different the talent is. And I think that Plummer would specifically need a AAA AAA talent uh, uh, and and feeling that and seeing that before he'd be ready for the major leagues. So Hmm. and there's urgency there to get it there. But there's 17 outfielders ahead of him that have either a diminished value or no value at all. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and this is not, I mean, this is not a new problem. I, you, know, you were talking about people getting regular bats, and I had to flash back to Tyler Green and Brian Anderson, you know, a couple of guys a long time ago that were big prospects, and they might not have panned out anyway, but they kind of withered on the vine, and by the time they actually did get to play in the major leagues, that yeah, they were too old, their value was gone, and, and nothing ever came of it. And, you know, it's good to have depth, but you still got to use it at some point in time or or trade it off and that's you know and in, in fairness that's what the cardinals thought they had in pitching and they wound up trading it off and then then they kind of needed it so uh it seems like they yeah. uh are kind of stuck no matter what they do um yeah, i want to talk real fast yeah real fast just two thoughts on that one is they keep talking about not trading the future not trading the future how long have we heard that rhetoric you know you're yeah. talking about going on seven or eight years now where it's not trading the future and you could argue that aside from 2019, they've gotten steadily worse in that time. So, <laughs> like, at some point, you have to trade the future. Yeah. And then at that, if you were already having failure with the trades you're making, where you're sending Randy or Rosarena because you're not giving him at bats, if you're sending, right. you know, the Jag thing, that's no yeah. one can can complain about that. Everybody needs to grow up about that. Mm-hmm. Every team had a chance at him in February, and no team took took the bait. It, the, the Rangers didn't even leave camp with him in, in April. Uh, but if you keep having these players who have success other places, 
that you're already letting walk or you're trading for a hundred grand because there's diminished value. Or, you know, that goes back to a Ledney's Diaz where you're trading it for JB Woodman. Like they're not, the issue isn't that they're trading these players and they're having success other, uh, at other places. It's that they're not learning from their failures. Like this happens to every team where at some point on the timeline, an outfielder uh, doesn't have a spot, gets traded. They do well somewhere else. But it keeps happening with the Cardinals, and they're not learning from it. They're not saying, all right, well, how about instead of getting Lane Thomas up for 49 at-bats over 75 games, how about we just trade him instead of holding on to him and hoping that he's better? Uh, you know, they're, they're not learning from the mistakes they're making. They're not adjusting to it. And that's that's the situation that they're in. You know, there's they need you know, that's that old saying, they need to look into a mirror about what they're doing and just accept the fact that, you know what, they've done some dumb things and they're going to have to do some really dumb things to get better. Yeah. Well, and, and the fact that, you know, what, probably 75, 80% of the time when you trade a prospect, it doesn't come back to bite you. Exactly. Um, I mean, you, you, we've seen how many blockbuster deals are made and, you know, the prospect that may be even a highly ranked prospect at the time, but never turns out to be as good as a, you know, the Max Scherzer you get in return or whatever the case may be. And every once in a while it does. And sure, that's the ones that stick out. But most of the time, you're not going to be hurt by that or you're going to get more value out of that, you know, that uh, star that you're bringing in. But um, while you were talking about the outfielders, though, I mean, plumber has been, yeah, uh, quite a surprise, but it, it's kind of time for him to kind of, you know, make this do. Like you said, he's been in the organization for seven years. You know, obviously I've watched Alec Burleson because he was drafted 70th last year. So he's a patron prospect at the moment until uh, we get to the other 70 that we'll talk about him a little bit. But I have been surprised. I mean, I I wasn't too surprised that he started off well, maybe at at A-ball, but to go to Springfield and then just to completely hold his own, I kept waiting for that, you know, the league to make adjustments and him to struggle. He just hadn't done it yet. It all comes down to that bat. <laughs> and I know, I mean, obviously you're talking about a hitter. And Alan can attest to this, uh, seeing it in person. There's no wasted motion. There's hardly mm-hmm. any motion at all except for through the zone. And because of that, he doesn't get beat on breaking pitches that he otherwise might. Uh, he doesn't get beat on heat. Although there was a pitcher for uh, uh, the Rough Riders last night who threw 100 miles an hour that no one could hit. Um, <laughs> he, he, he doesn't get beat on heat. He just kind of stands back in the box. And if it's in a hitter's count, he'll raise his leg a little bit and try to do a little damage. And if it's a pitcher's count, he just kind of throws the bat at it. And he has good bat-to-ball skills. And he, because of those those tremendous bat-to-ball skills, he's he's not drowning at double-A at all. He's doing really well. And then on top of that, this this organizational shift, uh, a philosophical shift that's happening because of the hitting the new the new coaches in the organization in the hitting lab where these guys are using the entire field, uh, except for like the born and bred power hitters, although Gorman is at his best when he's using left field. Uh, but except for like the born and bred power hitters, nearly all of the hitters are using the entire field to hit, breaking the shift. Uh, uh, and it's been it's been really really fun to watch. And Burleson, he fit that mold before he came into the organization. That's uh, that's what he did for Team USA when he wasn't pitching for for either Team USA or ECU, uh, and he's just running with it. <laughs> yeah, Burleson reminded me of a big leaguer that was down on a rehab. He, yeah. I mean, he, he he looked that skilled, and it honestly, 
his body moves like he may be a 35 year old veteran that's down on a rehab and not, not, nothing against him. He's just not real fluid with anything, yeah. but man, he gets the job done. And I was impressed. I was like, man, this, this dude can hit. I mean, he, I believe he cleaned up, uh, all four of the six games. Yeah. yeah here in Tulsa. Yeah, they've had a, they've and, had a, and, boy, that he can hit. No. Yeah. It's crazy. He's fun. Yeah, it was fun to watch. I I actually really like their roster. I really like their infield as well. I mean, I can understand the growing pains, but they're, they're fun to watch. It, it is. They're a lot very, of fun, man. It's a very interesting to me just because of the, sh- the shift that's happened in the last few years that we are, you know, when we're talking about prospects, we're talking about, you know, okay, Plummer's hitting and, and Burl said it. And I want to talk about, next about you know, George Walker, Mason Wynn, it's all on the offensive side. I mean, just what, just five years ago, it was, you know, Dylan Carlson and that was it. Um, it's, and I know that that's kind of the, okay, we have a lot of pitching in the organization. Let's start drafting some hitters, but it's a little bit interesting how that's almost completely flipped on a dime in a short period of time. Yeah. And they keep making some interesting, and I have a good segue. Uh, we're professionals around here. They keep making interesting decisions in the draft too. Uh, as far as the pitchers that they're drafting or the, you know, maybe choosing some guys who are on the board ahead of other guys on the board. And I, I, I question maybe some of their just general evaluations on pitching in general um, stemming from the draft. Uh, they also don't really have any, I mean, uh, Edwin Nunez kind of withstanding, they really don't have any international pitchers in the pipeline, they've got a couple, uh, Edgar Escobar from Cuba, but yeah, it's, uh, it has been interesting. And the fact that it happened so quickly, Daniel, it is, is what floors me. Are there any, cause I know there's really not at the top levels, but is there anybody in the lack, you, know, you know, Palm beach, Peoria, whichever it, on the pitching side that looks like they might be a guide to keep an eye on? Yeah, the, uh, so at Palm Beach, I've got a kid named Inohan uh, Peniagua. I think he might be an interesting name to keep on, uh, keep a small little eye on. When he, uh, they were playing Bradenton, when Palm Beach was playing Bradenton, that's the only MILB feed that's uh, part mm-hmm. of low A, so it's the only time that you could watch them. And uh, he was really impressive. I, you know, I'd, I'd keep a, a, an eye on him. Um some of their relief pitchers are, are, have really intrigued me at the lower levels. Although now, you know, Evan Sisk, he's at double A. He's a lefty who kind of throws sidearm and has some moving parts, but some nasty stuff. Uh, Edgar Escobar, who we talked about, again, a, a relief pitcher who's been overused. Ramon Santos, who's been in the organization forever now. Uh, he's really interesting. From a starting, a starting standpoint, uh, the Peoria staff in general is really interesting. Uh, Logan Gregg, who's pitched tonight and pitched really well. Uh, tonight uh, has struggled. He started the season on the IL and they kind of brought him back in brief appearances out of the pen. Um, And it took him a while to get going. And now he's starting to get going a little bit. He had a rough start in his last start. They've got all of those, like for the most part, a lot of the 2019 pitchers that they drafted. So uh, Michael Yusenka, Connor Lunn, Jack Ralston, um, Logan Gregg, uh, that group is there. And those guys all have, by and large, major league bullpen potential in some capacity, but they're starting uh, and and they're continuing to hone their craft there. I think the big mover and shaker in the organization has been Connor Thomas, the lefty out of Georgia Tech, who the Cardinals drafted in, I believe, the fourth round in 2019. 
And when the Cardinals drafted him out of Georgia Tech, he looked like a loogie. He didn't really have a slider that righties couldn't sit and pounce on. And during the break, the strides that he made to hone his fastball and get his fastball more consistent, his mechanics more consistent, his body stronger, and the changes he made to that slider in particular while working in a changeup uh, allowed him to probably probably be the most effective pitcher for Memphis. And if I were, if somebody were to ask me, you know, who would I want the Cardinal? Who of all the guys who haven't made a major league debut? Who would I want the Cardinals to bring up? It would be Connor Thomas, no doubt. I I think he's a better pitcher right now than Matthew Libertor. I know he's a better pitcher right now than Zach Thompson. Um, so so he would be the one that has made the biggest strides forwards. And you know, Andre Payante at Springfield has been really good. Dalton Roach for Springfield, who has nasty stats, but he's like the one guy who will go into the fifth inning every start, sixth inning every start, seventh every other every couple starts, and then he just gets bombed in those last innings. Uh, of course, naturally, that means in his last start he got bombed in the first inning, uh, and then <laughs> last and then worked through it and only let up runs in the first inning. And I think he got through five. He might have got into the sixth, but yeah, there there are some pitchers. Uh, Wilfredo Pereira at Peoria too, as his names popping in my head. Uh, there are some pitchers that have made some really some really good strides. It's just that by and large, the pitching in the organization has been terrible. Do you think, you know, we've, and I know you've talked about it a little bit at times too. And there's the idea, you know, Jeff Albert was came into to St. Louis with the idea of revamping, not only the major leagues, but the whole minor league philosophy, the whole, everything. And you talked about the coaches coming in that are in line with that kind of thing. Do they need to do something like that with the pitching side of things now too? Do you think? They might. Yeah. I. Uh, so I am one of these people, even though I love Mr. Maddox with all my heart, I find him lovable. Uh, I enjoy his soft touch. Uh, but I think it's time that, that like you start there. Uh, that's what I would do. I love Ben Godar. I love what he says. You know, uh, I'm all about firing as many coaches as possible. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just like that move. And so you fire Maddox and you, you start over organizationally. Um, you know, the, the big thing with with Albert and his influence on the minor leagues, other than getting his people in there, has been the hitting lab and the technology that the Cardinals have adopted throughout the minor league level. Hmm. And now the Cardinals have this pitching lab as part yeah. of the hitting lab, or I guess technically the hitting lab is part of the pitching lab. And it's just not clicking. So I think it's time that maybe you get a pitcher or a pitching coach and maybe an architect of pitching. And they brought in the gentleman from uh, uh, Duke um, a couple, you know, in the offseason, whose name yeah. I can't think of right now uh, to kind of be that. But you probably need a, a pitching coach at the major league level who that jives a little bit with maybe a little bit better. So, yes, I do. I absolutely do. I I will I will piggyback off of what Alan's been saying for months. Something in the organization is stale. I know people will point to Mo and Gersh. I can understand that. I'm not going to argue against it. Uh, but uh, to me, if I'm Mo and Gersh and the ones making the decisions, I'm not firing myself because I'm an egomaniac. Uh, uh, I am <laughs> firing someone else. Yeah, it does seem like it's getting closer to those guys than it ever has before. I'm a believer in the Mo program. I mean, and I may dr have drank the Kool-Aid a long time ago. But I, I feel like he's the right guy for the job. But I do feel like there's enough bricks falling now that it's getting a little bit closer to him. Uh, backtrack a little bit. I want to ask you this, and this is something that uh, you may even roll your eyes because you get it all the time. 
But um, hmm. are we going to get a Mason Win appearance on the mound this year? So he's throwing, just not in game, and they're okay. being they're being very very delicate with him. Okay, and I I know for an almost certain fact that he wants it. Uh, but I, I don't I don't know how the organization feels about it. Sure. I, I just wondered about that. I wondered how aggressive they would be or how much they wanted him to stay at shortstop for now before they're willing to roll the dice on that. I love that, I, that. Trust me, the program they set for these guys is much better than one that I ever would, and it goes way over my head. But I do think it's funny how they draft these guys thinking, hey, we're going to be proactive and we're going to be the one that breaks the mold and we're going to have these two-way guys. But I have a feeling he's going to be a shortstop until he can't, you know, yeah. type type deal. And I don't. Maybe that's right. I don't know. But it's funny how how they want to be so progressive about these things, and it sometimes it never changes. I always, I just kind of the way that it's worked out, and the way that it was looking going into the minor league season. It, in my mind, it's evident that that was just a sales ploy to get Mason sure. Wynn to sign for whatever. Like sure. I, I think, I think it'll be one of those situations where he gets on the mound by the end of the year, uh, maybe pitching out of relief a couple times, and that'll be the last time we ever see it. No, that that makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you, and it's kind of kind of deflating a little bit, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. Yeah, yeah it would have been nice to, to see a, see a somebody like that, but, yeah, probably not going to happen. And I would imagine it's deflating for the 19-year-old kid, too. Yeah, yeah, true. Man. Um, it's, by the way, my uh, that was Dusty Blake. That you're talking about from Duke. Uh, That's right. I the dusty thing throws me off. Yeah, <laughs> a dusty B even. I mean, yeah. so you know, um, uh, a little bit while we're talking, while we're before we, I know we're getting close to the hour mark. We still hadn't even hit the draft, so we'll get to that too. But uh, uh, before we leave the minors, uh, I mean, we got to talk about Jordan Walker, right? I mean, that I know first round draft pick. So, but still, I don't think anybody. Ex- really expected him to, to catch fire. Like, well, nobody expected his name and Albert Pujols' name to be in the same sentence. Let's put it that way. Don't you do this to me. Don't you do that to me. <laughs> Don't you set me up like that. I didn't do it. Mo did it. <laughs> he did that jerk. I do want him fired. Now I take it back. Um, yeah, he's, he is, he's an impressive specimen and that mind of his, uh, to go along with the athleticism that he has and that body size is is really what separates him. And why, you know, some of those questions about the big hole in his swing that he had at draft time slowly diminished uh, because he understands baseball. It's not just the scholastics IQ. He has baseball IQ. And he's really come around. And, and what he did, especially dealing with some, you know, a nagging injury at Palm Beach to come back from that and be just as good as he was hitting the ball as hard as he was prior to the injury. It's, he just, he has that, um, you know, it's been kind of a roller coaster early with Peoria. And that's part of the reason why I think I've been making the, well, also talking to some of the kids, but you know, they've all been pretty open about saying that, uh, the, the gap there between high A or uh, low A and high A is, is probably as big as it's ever been. So, he struggled a little bit at Peoria. Um, the umpires are kind of making an example out of him with the low strike. He's getting he's getting kind of hosed with the low strike. Like there are times when the ball is at his ankles and they're calling it a strike, Ooh. and he 
And part of the reason why I think they're making an example of him is he's frustrated by it. He was frustrated by it the first time he saw it. And, uh, you know, shaking his head and kind of looking at the ump. And that's not a sign of immaturity. He just knows the strike zone so much better than the ump. And then once that got around, it's been consistent, low strikes at his knees or below. And he just, he isn't adjusting to it. And part of it is because he can't do anything with it. Because it's, I mean, it's that low and out of the zone. And he so, didn't need to adjust to it, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly. what messes your game up. Exactly. And he, like now I'm, you'll see him swing at maybe a breaking pitch in the dirt that he wasn't swinging at, swinging at when he first got to Peoria, which was super impressive. You're like, oh, wow, look at this kid. He's laying off of these really tough breaking pitches that you know are hitting the back of the plate. Like it, you thought, all right, this kid does have that extra little advancement in his, in his, in his game. But he he is a little frustrated, and you're starting to see it. He's gotten the last couple nights off, and I I think I think when he comes back, he'll be, he'll be ready to go. But yeah, he's he's so impressive in every way, and even defensively, like I I think he took a he's still he's still like a minor league a minor league below average third baseman, but he definitely flashes above average, and that's positive, especially when you're pushing a kid. You know, to third base uh, at high A, that's 19 years old. You know, that's just such a tough ask. It's a, a tough thing to ask that person to get used to. So to see him maybe struggle with some things here and there that he hasn't probably ever struggled with in his life, I, I think that's to be expected. But it, he's he does some really amazing things over there, too. And you can see the foundation of a really solid defensive third baseman if he keeps tracking in that particular way. Well, it's, it was it's it's fun to see them kind of hit on what could be a top talent, um, and so that's that's good to see. Last question for we for the draft. Of course, this is the first year because of last year being just weird that expanded rosters are only like the two people, which is kind of stupid. But um, if the Cardinals, and I'm sure that they will just take you know guys off the forty man and bring them up. But if, you know, if you got to choose, and I know that there's still another month or so to go, who would you want to be in those two spots? Oh, man. Well, you know, they'll, they'll probably pull somebody off of the 40, man. Uh, right. that's, you know, that sounds like the Cardinals to me. But, you know, if, if I was just up there screwing around, I could have any two players I wanted, uh, assuming that they hadn't made it there and they're not already – you know, a part of, of whatever rotation is going on. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see Juan Yepes there. We'll see how these next, how he adjusts to be maybe trying to be more powerful than he actually is. Uh, we'll see how he adjusts to that. But like right now, Juan Yepes is definitely one of those guys that I would want there. And then I know it's, I know it's goofy. Look, I, I love Matthew Libertor. I love Zach Thompson. Connor Thomas, we talked about, I like him a lot. But I like, I want to see Austin Warner at the major league level. Like Ooh. somebody like that. You know, yeah. that might be his only chance. And again, I'm assuming the Cardinals are going to be bad. Uh, I, I, that might be his only chance to ever make a major league debut. And like, that's what I would want. I, I, because I'm just assuming they're not going to need that extra arm because they might be out of it. Or anyways, like that's, I would want something like that. You know, uh, the, Roel Ramirez got his shot this year and last year. Jesus Cruz got his shot last year. You know, when they were just pulling out arms, when they needed arms, pulling out arms, pulling out arms. I I, I would like to see someone like Austin Warner get his shot. Uh, and that's me being oddly sentimental for whatever dumb reason. It's a left-handedness. Yeah. Um, and that is one of the one of the reasons 
having, you know, 40 band come up was, was so great because you got those stories. You got those guys that had done 10 years in the minor league. That's how they got Jose Martinez up, right? I mean, he came up because he'd been in the organization. He'd been in the minor leagues forever. He'd been in the organization for a year or so and came up because it was kind of a feel good story to some degree. It wound up actually becoming something. So, um, yeah, that's another reason why I'm never I'm not fond of this shrinking of rosters, but it's baseball. What do we expect? Yeah, it's so stupid um, to go from 40 to 20, 28. Just go to like 40 yeah. to 30. Like that's or 40 to 35. You don't need to shrink it that much. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, or don't do it at all because what's two spots? Yeah. I mean, it means nothing. Alan, you got anything else before we hit the draft? No, I agree with you guys. It's, it's one of those. I always think about the, uh, um, at first, I was thinking, man, the forty manager—it's just dumb. They need to quit doing that. And then when you when uh, uh, when you heard Bruce Bochy talk about his son never would have gotten a shot without the forty-man roster, it kind of made you feel pretty sad. I was like, <laughs> eh, I kind of wish I didn't feel that way. Yeah, yeah, um, it, it's it's baseball. Okay, so the draft did happen this week, um, and Kyle, I know nothing about any of this stuff, but I haven't known anything for the last hour. So it's no big deal. Um, yeah, me too. I'm, yeah. But you, you, pass it off a little bit better. Uh, I know that on draft night, you did a pad on draft night. Um, you were not excited about the first round pick. Did that, has it grown on you? Has the fact that they made a little bit more aggressive pick with their second round pick changed that? What are you, what are you thinking about Michael McCready? He's fine. You know, I, and I tried rebounding in pad for sure. And I, you know, I, I tried to play it cool and I tried to give my, my honest opinion. And then I tried to rebound a little bit. It, it's, it's fine. It's a good pick. I can't wait to see what the bonus is. Um, but it, it's a fine, it's a decent pick. He, you know, what the Cardinals are hoping for. And again, this is how the draft works. You kind of hope on things. They're hoping that he continues to fill out and add velocity. Now, that's a big hope uh, because then you're making the assumption that this control first pitcher is, and maybe it's the smart assumption to make, but this control first pitcher is going to continue to control the ball bigger and stronger. And I guess that makes sense. It could happen. Uh, but I think what separates this, this control first pitcher to me uh, from maybe some other control first pitchers is he, you know, in 111 innings or whatever, he let up 10 home runs. And that doesn't seem like a lot. It's not a lot. But, you know, his the one person that people keep bringing up with Michael McGreevy is Shane Bieber, who I have called Justin Bieber at least three times in the last week. <laughs> uh, they keep bringing him up as, you know, they went to the same school, blah, 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 same build, blah, 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 didn't walk a lot of guys, uh, similar strikeout numbers. Well, in more innings, Shane Bieber uh, – let up like half as many home runs. And the reason is because Bieber's stuff was really good. It was really good. And McCreevy's stuff is really good for a collegiate pitcher, for sure. But those 10 home runs in that division, that's a pretty big number. You know, a couple years back when the Cardinals drafted Zach Thompson, I wanted them to draft George Kirby so much. And when they picked Thompson instead of Kirby, I said you know what? I get it. It's not the move I would have made, but I get why they did it. You know, 
Thompson, in their minds, was a guy who, if he would have been healthy, would have been drafted long before they got the chance. And they decided to take a gamble there. I get that. Uh, right now, I think if you were to ask anybody in baseball, they'd tell you they'd rather have George Kirby. Uh, and that's there's a lot of reacting going there. Uh, but I, I think what they tried to do here is they tried to find this draft's George Kirby. And McGreevy kind of fits that profile. You know, four pitches, all with the potential to be average or above. Uh, I think you could argue right now, none of them are above average. Uh, they're they're all fringy. Um, fastball got, has gotten so much better. So you could probably call that an above average pitch. Good foundation to build on top of. Um, but he's just, it, you look at Elon's George Kirby in college. And Elon's George Kirby allowed three home runs in like 40 more innings. And to me, that's a pitcher with really solid collegiate stuff who is super athletic for sure, but who isn't anymore, uh, you know, other than Bartolo Colon. Uh, <laughs> and, like, it just seems like a lot of hope going into an 18th overall pick when there were a lot more well-refined arms on the board. And I have to believe that what the Cardinals did is they wagered his talent and what he's capable of with whatever his slot bonus he was willing to accept would be. And that's why they went there. Um, again, I don't, I don't think it's a bad move. I think he's a really good pitcher. You know, uh, I was telling a friend of mine today. He reminds me of Christian Roa, who the Reds drafted like 60th overall last year. You know, a four pitch pitcher who throws a lot of strikes. Although McCreevy's uh, or McCreevy's ability to throw strikes is way above Roa's, but who has a pretty good arsenal that you're hoping to build on top of. But that was a 60th overall pick. And again, McCreevy's con command control is way higher than Rose, Rose was. But it just seems like it seems like McGreevy is a bit of a reaction to the strike throwing not happening in the organization. And mm. you do that later in the draft. You don't do that in the first round. And I, I really do think it's just it, – and it, if it ends up being that the bonus lines up with the slot – uh, I'll be shocked. I won't be able to quite understand it, and I'll have to revisit my thoughts, of course. But it just it seems like there were better pitchers on the board with maybe even a quicker timeline, although McCreevy could be McGreevy could be a really quick riser. Um, but it just like that either had more to work with and just needed some refining or or were bigger and stronger. I, I just, it seemed like an odd pick for me. It, and that's only talking about the pitchers available, you know, not getting into the, uh, some of the position players that were also available there. So uh, again, you know, I've, I, I get it. I understand it. I think McGreevy is going to be a really good pitcher. I think, I think in their minds, they're probably seeing some version of Dakota Hudson, you know, a, a ground ball pitcher who, you know, is more refined, who throws more strikes than Hudson does. That's slider, slider two seams, slider sinker. But he doesn't have the bite on a slider or the bite on a sinker or the, the run on a sinker that, that Hudson had when the Cardinals drafted Hudson uh, out of Mississippi State. He's younger than Hudson was. He's one of the youngest players, uh, uh, collegiate players in the draft. But I just, which, you know, gives you hope that he can continue to put muscle on, continue to fill out that frame. Uh, and he's a dedicated kid. He's a smart kid. Uh, but 
I, I just I think that there were so many other options there that a could have impacted the Cardinals uh, maybe even a little bit quicker or are currently more talented than he is. And I just I, I shake my I, I don't shake my head again. I think I think McGreevy will make the majors. I think he'll have some role. I just it's not the way I would have gone. Um, yeah, that's that's makes sense completely. I don't again. I didn't want to, I don't want to. You didn't want people to think that you were trashing it at all. It was that way. It's like, again, like I never remember with Thompson, it, you felt like there were just some better options. Not that that one was a bad one. So um, it does, it did seem a little bit, I mean, for, to the amateur eye, um, they, they take what Joshua Baez in the second round right yeah. now. It, this is, that does make you kind of feel like it's a, maybe get a go a little low in the first round so you can get your second round guy. I think they probably save a little bit of money on McCreevy, but I don't think that those are necessarily connected. You know, we're uh, uh, last year. So the slot ballot, the slot values were exactly the same as, as last year. And Mason Wynn, uh, who was also drafted 54th and also had a slot value of like 1.34 signed for 2.1. And the Cardinals saved about 300 K on Jordan Walker or 200 K or something on Jordan Walker uh, uh, with their pick last year. So part of that went into there, but when you look at, you look back at the draft, you look at somebody like Mike Antioch, who I believe was the Cardinals' seventh or eighth round pick, the five year senior out of Texas, who was it, who played for St. John's before transferring to Texas. Like that guy's going to get a thousand dollar bonus, and that's a hundred thousand dollar pool or whatever, one hundred and forty or whatever it was. Like that money is what's going to go to uh, to Joshua Abayas, along with the money, of course, that they that hopefully that they saved for McCreevy. But, you know, it's it's guys like that. And then they also have a really interesting situation where in the uh, in the sixth round, oh wait, yeah, the sixth round, they drafted a high school kid named Alec Willis, who's a, a righty that's very projectable and with pitchability advanced for a prep arm that they're probably going to have to give a pretty large bonus to as well. So, yeah, I, I think that between those two, uh, they're going to have to be very, very careful about how they're spending their cash. Now, let's also make this clear. Uh, and I, I tried to retweet the video from the Cardinals' 19th round pick, uh, 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 the kid from ECU. Um, Tom, I always get it wrong because it's uh, it's Thomas Hernandez or um, Tom uh, Thomas Francisco, and I did have to look that up. Thomas Francisco, the first baseman from ECU. I had I, I retweeted his clip where he talks about the draft and what the process was like for him. You know, where a team will call and say, hey, uh, what's your number? And I'll say, this is my number. And they'll say, well, we can offer you $1,000, $100,000 less than that. Or he'll get a call from saying a team saying, oh, we're drafting you here. And then another team says, we're drafting you here. What's your number? Uh, and so just to give people an idea that the Cardinals know exactly what the number is for all of these players. Mm-hmm. And they're going to sign all of these guys. So, like, that's not a concern. But definitely... You know, I would assume that that's part of why McCreevy goes in the first round is to to sign Joshua Baez, but I, I don't think it's just that. I don't I don't think that cuts the difference. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I know we tend to focus on the early parts, but you're, I, it makes sense that yeah, later on in the in the pools is is where you're going to actually save your money, assuming that ever like you said, as everybody signs, and if they don't, then you've got issues. But nowadays, they know. Cardinals have already signed four guys. Um, do you expect that most of the rest of them will sign fairly quickly? 
Oh, is there? What's the deadline on that? Oh God, I don't even know. I really don't. Since they changed it, I don't know what it is. I want to say it's. Uh, if you if you go off of past years, it would probably be the last day in July or sometime around. I think it is August one. To be honest okay. with you, yeah, I it think is. that's yep. okay. It is. I just yeah. I just did the Google. It's five o'clock Eastern on August first. Okay. Yeah, I go ahead and tie that in with the the uh, trade deadline. That makes a lot of sense too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, let's not nothing. step on each other here. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing else going on. So you know, <laughs> exactly. To be fair, they They're they moved the trade the trade deadlines on the thirtieth today. So there's a whole day in between there. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Slackers. Uh, yeah. So I, you know, I would I would think that like McGreevy and Baez will probably do that whole workout at Bush Stadium. And for some reason, I thought that that happened when the Cardinals aren't in town, but it happens when the Cardinals are in town. So, yeah. Uh, and I think it would, they also like to have Cardinal prospects makes their major league debut against the Cubs. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next week, all of a sudden, the McCreevy and Baez in particular are signing contracts at Bush Stadium. And, you know, one of them's taking batting practice on the field. Yeah, McCreevy, probably. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, they do tend to because they like to put them. You know, they like to you know do the press tour, get them into the Danny Mac or with uh, John Rooney and stuff like that. So that may, yeah, that's pretty much it because the thirtieth that they're home home with the Twins. So um, I'm sure they'll make a push for that. Okay, that makes sense. Um, was there anybody else out of this draft that you really that really stood out to you? Oh, you know, so I um, I'm not as deep. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, my bad. I thought uh, I'm not as deep in the draft as, as I would like to be, but there are a couple names, a couple of these guys that I'm I'm super intrigued by, and I can't wait to learn more about. Uh, you know, Ryan Holgate talking to some of my uh, my scouting service friends. Uh, Drafted seventieth. What do you say? Drafted seventieth. Yeah, him? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Important to know. Um, he, <laughs> your new patron prospect. Yeah. You can no longer claim Alec Burleson. Sorry. I, I can have more than one. It's fine. You cannot. <laughs> uh, he's interesting. There's there's this like the scouting world is kind of split on his his running ability and his ability to play the outfield. Uh, I've only I haven't seen enough to really feel one way or the other. But that is a, a left handed swinger with a ton of power out of Arizona. And uh, a lot of people compare him to. Um, Trevor Larnack, who Minnesota drafted in the first round a couple of years back and who is currently on Minnesota's uh, 26-man roster. And I can see why they would view a Holgate as kind of a junior version of, of, of him. Uh, I don't think he's as talented defensively. I don't think he necessarily has the skills. But he is a pretty developed bat at the collegiate level that hits left-handed that can also bring some wood. So that, you know, the, when you get past Baez and McGreevy, the first name you'll see is Ryan Holgate. And I think I think that's a great place to start as you start to familiarize yourself with the guys that were drafted in 2021. Uh, from there, the pitching is really where it's a lot of fun. Uh, in the third round, the Cardinals selected Austin Love, a big righty out of North Carolina, uh, UNC, who has a really big body and a really sneaky arm angle with a lot of deception. And he throws his fastball slider changeup off of that same angle. And why his fastball can be straight, it can be really lively in the mid to high 90s. And the way that he repeats his delivery, even though it's kind of a, not a high effort, but 
and it, uh, it's kind of an aggressive delivery. It's ah, uh, it's just high energy. It looks like it looks like it would tax the body, uh, but. Where he throws it from and how he repeats his delivery is really good for sustainability of the fastball, slider, and changeup. Changeup being his second best pitch um, in the long run. I think a lot of people think because his fastball is kind of flat uh, that he is destined for the bullpen. And when he's in the bullpen, he can dial it up to the high 90s. So there is some bullpen like risk there. But I like Austin Love a lot. He was one of those guys that I was just going to, all right, I'm going to check Austin Love. I see, I see he throws X hard and there's some questions about his third offering and blah, blah, blah. And I went down a rabbit hole and I watched one of his starts and I was, I was more impressed with Austin love than I thought I would be. Um, I, I mean, I can almost go down the whole list, but it, the pick after that Zane Mills, who has this, uh, he's a right-handed pitcher for Washington state. He has this throwing motion that is almost hypnotizing. It's, it's, it looks like the least high effort motion you'll ever see. And all of a sudden, the ball is just on the hitter. It doesn't even look like he's trying to throw the baseball. It's the weirdest thing. It's it's hypnotizing to watch. But, um, you know, as I bring up Love and as I bring up Mills, you, you, you go down the list, all of these guys, the Cardinals had an MO in this draft with most of these pitchers, and it is guys who throw strikes. Uh, and all of these players' scouting reports, even if you go down to, like, uh, yeah, relief pitcher Andrew Marrero from Connecticut. Uh, they all throw strikes. So there was definitely um, uh, an adjustment made in this draft based solely on what they're seeing at the major league and minor league level. But I like the kids that they drafted. Almost all these kids, it'll say they throw strikes. And the ones that are starters, it says it'll say something along the lines of has a real chance to stick as a starter or is a starter long term. You know, just a matter of how far they can continue to push their skills. They did a really good job of mining Division Two. Um, uh, Trent, Bla- Trent Baker from uh, Angelo State, I believe, in the ninth round. He's a really interesting guy. Like they they went all over the place, all over the map to get a lot of these guys. Uh, in the in the tenth and eleventh round, they took two infielders back to back. A gentleman named Osvaldo Tovalin and another gentleman named Mac. Chambers and I like Chambers a lot. He's a switch hitter who played JUCO and then went to New Mexico, which is a hitter's environment, and did really well in New Mexico. Switch hitter, he does most of his damage left-handed. Has some work to do right-handed. I like him when you're mining a little bit deeper. Uh, Alfredo Ruiz, I believe Daniel uh, and Allen are. I think he's our other big Star Wars fan. Um, ah, okay. The lefty out of Long Beach State. Um, he, uh, he could be potentially like the next Connor Thomas. He has a kind of a, if he, if he can retool his slider a little bit, he has a chance to move pretty quick because he throws strikes and he stays in the bottom part of the, he knows what kind of pitcher he is. He throws strikes and he stays in the bottom part of the zone because he knows what type of pitcher he is. And all of those things can get you, you know, through an organization pretty quick these days. So I could see a sixth-round pick, Alfredo Ruiz, out of Long Beach State, being a quick riser. I've had people in the scouting community tell me Gordon Graceffo from Villanova is a name. The fifth-round pick is a name worth keeping a close eye on. He could be like this draft's version of Andre Payante. Uh, uh, Payante, uh, really good feel for pitching. Had a velocity spike this this past season, which got him up to the fifth round. And uh, has a really good feel for a slider and a changeup, and he's a smart kid. Uh, but I guess you know, and also like going going down. Uh, I don't remember what round it is. It was either the 16th or 17th. Uh, 
or 18th round, they drafted uh, out of Florida State, Elijah Cabela, Eli Cabela. And that is a terrible fielding outfielder who just <laughs> brings the wood. Uh, nothing but power in that right-handed swing of his. Um, I I like that a lot. I, I do like what they did um, all the way through the draft. I, I just I, I am I like what they did all the way through the draft. Oh, good. I mean, it's you know I don't want to put you on the spot to make you give letter grade because that's kind of silly to do on a you know especially when they not all these guys have signed. But it sounds like they at least had a, a good philosophy going through it. Yeah, I. The one thing, the one thing, the many things that Randy Flores does extremely well every draft. He drafts team leaders. You can bank on this. He drafts team leaders. He drafts jovial, smart kids uh, with good family lives. He drafts a lot, not exclusively, but he drafts honor roll students. And he drafts a lot of pitchers that have untaxed arms. Uh, that's not the case with all of these guys, of course. Uh, some of these guys you are just drafting to get in the organization, eat some innings, and then whatever happens, happens. But that, like, those are some of the pillars of how he drafts, and it works out well. Uh, and I, I think that just from knowing how the draft works, knowing how random it is, knowing how hard it is to feed an organization with draft players and have those draft picks make a major league um, debut or a major league impact, like knowing knowing the difficulty of that, uh, I think that in this draft they might have gone a little safer. Um, specifically, pitchers with like the slider changeup and changeup being the better of the two that throw a lot of strikes. I think they went a little safer here, uh, which almost seems like an organizational mandate to me more than anything, uh, or an organizational quick adjustment. But I, I think it's a really solid draft uh, with some arms that have a a real potential to continue to grow and be better in a year in a, in a measurably large way than they are right now. Well, it sounds like it should be fun to watch. And then um, we know the Cardinals will get better in the second half because they have to draft like 18th again next year. Yeah. And, uh, so uh, they have to do it all again. What would they do? What do you think they would do with a top 10 pick? Would they, would they get, you know, aggressive or pretty much stick to the same type of thing? I think it just depends on the, the draft. Yeah. Like this draft, I think, and I thought that we would see it. I did think that we would see it this year and it, I'm assuming it happened to a lesser degree, but the way the draft was going, I really wondered if Mr. Flores and co would they if they would find a bonus baby if they were if they were focused in on a kid at 18 who would take like a million dollars less you know it's only like 3.2 or 3.4 but somebody who would take like 2.4 million dollars i i was i was wondering if that's the direction they were going to go as these a lot of players were falling off of the board and falling down the board and i thought man maybe they maybe they've identified somebody that they can get at 54 that has already fallen uh, that wants you know, three and a half million dollars. Uh, yeah, I, I really thought that there was a chance that that was going to happen. And I think in this draft, I think that that's what Randy Flores would have done. A total guess, total speculation. I, I have no basis on that, but I do think that there's a chance that that would have happened this year if they would have had the ninth overall pick and then the 41st or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's not something that they're probably going to have to deal with for a long time, hopefully, again, with that uh, idea of at least being competitive as much as they can. But uh, it's interesting to think about. So, I mean, they haven't had a high pick since, what, J.D. Drew and Rick Ankiel? Um, at least that's what it feels like. So. Yeah, you know, we, we talked about this like the last time I was on, and now I don't remember. There's There's been there's been one since then. Oh, uh, uh, Brett Wallace, 13th. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I saw that referenced in an article just today, I think. So, yeah, that's right. It's still a while ago. Man. Yeah, a little bit. Man, I still remember when I complained that he got traded for Matt Holiday. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of us did. We didn't, you know, at the time. So. I did. I was I was a whiny baby about it. I love the <laughs> Colby Rasmus trade. I hated the Brett Wallace trade. Yeah. <laughs> And that's fair. I mean, I mean, again, that just you know, a guy that that looked like it was going to be something for a guy that you know was probably going to be here for we thought uh, a month and a half or two months. So, um, and that's the risk you take. Um, and but again, most of the time those prospects don't necessarily pan out if you if you know what you're doing. Um, Kyle, it's been fun. Alan, you got anything left for him before we no, uh, great. Okay, let him go? Covered everything. It's exciting. I I learned a lot. Uh, after that last few minutes. Yeah. And we won't make anybody listen to us talk Star Wars and, and Marvel. I know that was an option on the poll, but, uh, you know, at an hour and 20, I'm pretty sure nobody's still here anyway. So, well, they uh, weren't here to start, so I wouldn't worry. Have <laughs> <laughs> uh, we been recording? <laughs> <laughs> Where's Mark Saxon at? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, there it went. Okay. Uh, all right. So, again, Follow, don't follow, whatever you want to do with Kyle over at um, Kyle R416. Um, you know, pads out there every once in a while, you got to find that. Are you are you thinking now with a, a season under your belt this, this winter, you'll, you'll get back to the Dirty 35? I'm exhausted of the Dirty 35 already. How about that for an answer? <laughs> I, was, I was just talking to someone about this today. The I don't know what to do. I've worked on the Dirty 30. I've honestly, I've probably put anywhere from 15 to 20 hours already into the Dirty 35. And it is just as much of a scrambled mess as it was when I first started. I don't I don't know how to gauge what's going on. Like I know I watched I watched three games a night. I know what's going on, but for the life of me, when I sit down and I try to organize it the way that I organize it, I can't figure it out. If, if it's in my mind, I can kind of figure it out. But when I start putting it down and I start putting down my notes and organizing everything, I can't for the life of me figure it out. And then I thought, I'm just going to stop doing the Dirty 35 until next year. And then I'll do position rankings because that's easier. But it's right. not. It's worse. And I hate my <laughs> life. Well, I, that is as may be. But... Um, I know we are glad that I mean minor leagues bought back, and I, you know, I think all of us really appreciate the the gifting that you've done. I think I think it's helped a lot of people get a, an idea um, of what these guys are doing down there. I mean, even if it's not, if even if it's just a little slight little bit of of a of an at bat or something like that, you know, unless you have MIB, MLB TV, you don't see those guys. So it's it's kind of nice to be able to to have and it's not you know you're not just looking at you know walker or, or burleson or anything like that you're getting a, a lot of these guys that you know people may not be talking about yeah i'm trying i'm glad that you guys are enjoying them that's a you know i've always done this this is what i've always done i just never share it on twitter <laughs> so yeah. it's it's nice to be able to kind of share it although 
I'm about done with it because I think people, you know, I'm trying to show good and bad, but I think people mm-hmm. are just seeing the good and they're so frustrated with the Cardinals and it's like, hey, Moises Castillo hit a single at Peoria. Can he start at shortstop tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, buddy! How many questions do you get about Delvin Perez about that, though? Oh, every I would I get asked about Delvin more than anyone. It's been nice to see him at least rebound, though. This year, I, I'm not saying that he's ready to slide into the majors, but he's at least put a little bit of, of shine back on his status. Yeah, between um between Delvin and probably Nolan Gorman, those are probably the two guys I get asked about more than anyone. But yeah, like to to watch. And it's a shame we didn't. We talked about Nick Plummer, but it's mm-hmm. it's a shame that we just didn't emphasize how awesome it was. To, it, it it is to see Plummer and Delvin Perez having yeah. success. Like even yeah. if they don't say it's terrible, they both take a turn for the worse. They had these moments, and to see that makes me happy, especially with this hard as they've both worked, but Plummer specifically. And we talked about it on Pat a little bit. Nick Plummer is a leader. He is a mentor. He is a great kid who is a support system for a lot of the kids that are younger than him in the system. And there aren't like that happens at the minor league level, but not the way that he is. He's like a big brother to some of the younger kids. And that's, that's freaking cool. And that makes me happy. And I just want to see him continue to succeed because of that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, it'd be awesome. Um, and you said he's a you know minor league free agent. Is there anybody else that stands? I, but I know this is I should have asked this earlier. But is there anybody else that's on that you know that decision has to come this summer or this fall? Uh, I don't believe so. That would be the guys in the 2015 draft. And at this point, like all of those guys are at the major league level. Okay. So okay. I I I, I don't think you know okay. it's it's those guys in 2016 like Delvin. I think Delvin specifically. Who is and we also have to. I still have to find out about 2020 if that it counts, and I'm I think it does, but I've psyched myself out of it. We need to find out if 2020 actually counts as a year of service for the minor leaguers. I know it does for the major leaguers, but I'm not sure about the minor leaguers. And I just assume, but where I'm where I'm psyching myself out is I think yeah, it makes sense. It was a yeah. season that was lost, but then I think well, nobody gets abused more than minor league baseball exactly. players. So exactly, yeah. So That's- they would probably try to you know pardon me, but screw over the minor leaguers. So I'm just, I'm trapped in my head and I haven't researched it. Yeah. I, I think you're right that it did count, but I also am thinking like you are, is that if they can get away with not having it, then they, they wouldn't. Um, I don't know. I mean, of course the Mariners had that issue with uh, their top prospect earlier in the year. I don't know if that, that helps any or not. I guess it really doesn't because that was just a service time issue. So um, at the major league level. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I think it does. But it, hopefully you'll find out and, and let us know if yeah. you're right or wrong. Um, yeah, I, I know how we're guessing. Um, so, all right. Well, it's been fun. And uh, we've gone well long enough. So for Alan and Kyle, I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. Good night.